And welcome back to The Square. This week we are joined uh, by special guest Eve Shippens running for North District Council seat um, as well as her communications manager, Stacey uh, Von Blarkham. Did I pronounce it right? That was close. I'm so sorry. People <laughs> mess up my name all the time, Stacey. I apologize. Um, can you pronounce it for me? It's Van Blarkham. I'm sorry. It's okay. Eve, Stacey, welcome to The Square. Thank you. Thank you. We have a race on our hands. Yes. North District. Yes. You're running against the, the this newbie, Jim. This guy, Joe Glumbeck. Political neophyte. Uh, he's a newcomer, young cub, up and coming. Right. He's only been in office for like 65 years. I, I mean, this guy, Glumbeck, you know, he... Um, he, makes, a, he makes Chuck Grassley look kid, like a kid. Yeah. I mean, listen, Joe Glumbeck, uh, contrary to what he might be telling people, has been around the block a time or two. Uh, you... Eve Shippens, I mean, you are the political, not political neophyte in the sense that you're new to politics, but you're new to run. This is your first time running for office, right? Yes, it is. Okay. So you're the actual up and comer. Yes, I am. You are, you know, you're the rookie. You're chomping at the bit. Let's go. Talk to us, Eve. Why North District? Why now? I've been interested in making improvements in the city for quite some time. I am a public servant as a school teacher. And I thought that being a school teacher was a good way to give back to my community and help kids who came from situations like I did as a child. I grew up in poverty. I had a baby at 16. I had a lot of um, obstacles in my life, and I've managed to overcome a lot of them. And I wanted to help people out. Unfortunately, after teaching for a while, I saw that a lot of the problems coming into my classroom were beyond my control. And they were really beyond the students' control too. They were coming from parent or families, parents that were uh, not well-educated themselves, struggling, uh, have some of them having mental health issues or addictions. And the students were, weren't coming to school ready to learn. Housing is a big part of it. Our children in Buffalo are very lead poisoned, more so than the kids in Flint actually. So I wanted to take a bigger role and be able to make a difference on a bigger level for the same reason why I went into teaching, which is to really make sure that the next generation had opportunity. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a round of applause for that. Right, yeah. yeah right. Okay, you, you went into teaching. You're, you want to make a difference in um, some kids' lives. I'm, I'm sure you did um, probably countless numbers of kids um, over the years. But now, you know, I, and I know... So your background, talk to me a little bit about your, or talk to us about your background politically a little bit, because I know, obviously, you had been involved um, with the India Walton campaign for mayor previously, and I know, um, you know, different political organizations. If you could tell us maybe a little bit about your political background or uh, here in Buffalo or kind of what led you to running for council. Well, actually, my parents met in the peace movement, so I come from an activist family, my parents were also uh, prime voters who took me with them to the voting booth every single election. So voting was something I grew up doing or knowing to do. And um, so eventually, when I started looking at bigger issues um, in education mainly, I helped run Jen McCosey, who is our West District uh, School Board member for Buffalo. And... I was her campaign manager, and that really pulled me in a lot because I saw what a, a big transformation 
having a good school board made for our district. So it made me look at other things like, what else can we change? Interesting. So, and, and, and how often do we get, I mean, for my money, a lot of people who end up like as campaign managers, Jim, tend to, you know, tend to end up not being the candidates yeah, as often. That, I mean, that's, that's uh, people who, who are behind the scenes tend to stay behind the scenes. Uh, I don't know, Stacy. maybe we'll see you running for office soon. You will not. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm uh, here to support the... Uh, yeah, but I mean, uh, it, it's interesting to see somebody who, you know, was a campaign... I mean, uh, I, think, I think we tend to see that more on the Republican side. Mm-hmm. The people who run campaigns tend to run for office than on the Democratic side uh, of the, the aisle. Because it, it, I, I'm, I don't know, there's a, probably a, a numerous reasons why that, that happens. Uh, but I, people who tend to be candidates tend to start off as candidates in the Democratic side. Republicans tend to promote their own in that way. Uh, but it, it's interesting that you, you, you start off as in this, or how your initial role as an adult in electoral politics was as a campaign manager. Um, you know, and so how is that? formed like your view of your own campaign now this year i actually think it's a great position to come from because i've been with jen mccosey i've been with india walton i've been on other campaigns and i've seen the personal toll that it takes on the candidate and that's something that i don't think that many people know going in Mm -hmm. um i've been to lots of different trainings through my union through different organizations through working families party Nowhere do they sit you down and say, listen, you're going to cry. Right. <laughs> you're going to cry it's, a lot. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be brutal. <laughs> and people are going to say things about you that are awful and not true and also awful and true. Mm-hmm. And then some of your friends and family that you think will be right there for you are like busy living their own lives. Mm-hmm. And so um, having seen it happen, it kind of uh, puts me in a position where I'm prepared for that. Mm-hmm. Um, also having taught middle school for seven years has, <laughs> has me prepared for, you go ahead, you say whatever you want about right. me. I'm not going to cry as much, <laughs> but, um, but so I think it has helped me. It also helps me take a real leadership role in my own campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, I do have a campaign manager. I have great people who are, um, in important roles on my campaign, but at the end of the day, I know every moving part of my campaign. Right. And that's something that is important to me because one thing that uh, Jen McCosey told me a whole bunch of times before I did this is you have a lot of people behind you to get elected, but once you're in office, you have to make those decisions on your own. Right. You're at that table with, uh, you know, eight other people and you have to decide sometimes with very little uh, time to think about that. Right. And, and, and school district, just like common council, it's with eight other people. Yes. So. Although one of the things I do love about you, Eve, is like how decisive you, you are um, and also how you build consensus. So I think, you know, those qualities are ones that will serve you well. Well, I, and I'd like to I'd like to touch on that, too, because, look, you're jumping into some shark infested waters. Um, obviously, I mean, your your primary is just one of the many that are going on for common council this year. Um, it's unprecedented. I think that we've seen this kind of shakeup, this kind of action. Uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on a lot of, a lot of these races. And so it's, uh, it's admirable that you're like, Hey, you know what? Now is my time to uh, throw my hat in the ring and do this. What kind of conversations were, 
were you having with the people of the North District? Because you don't go into this without, you know, knowing that you have support, without knowing that, hey, uh, this Joe Golumbeck guy, we're sick of him. What what kind of conversations do you have within your community? Or, or what are some of the things you heard from uh, voters, supporters, whoever, that inspired you to want to run for North District Council? One of the biggest things that motivated me about running for North District, as opposed to another office at some time in the future, was right after the Tops Massacre. Somebody in one of the Riverside groups on Facebook was talking about all the resources that the governor was bringing into the city on the east side. And they were um, saying, why does the east side always get everything? And I was about to come in and do a little bit of uh, cultural sensitivity training right there in the Facebook group. <laughs> and um, But then I kept on reading the thread. And they're like, second poorest zip code. And I'm like, it can't be the second poorest zip code. I know this is a poor zip code, but the second poorest? And I started doing, I fact-checked that instantly. That was easy to find. But then I did some more research in the poverty in the district and how much it has increased in the past 20 years. And this is not just something that I see, which uh, Stacy and I have talked about as you knock doors in the North District. The housing stock is some of the worst that we've seen across the city. Mm-hmm. We know that people are living, both owners and renters, in uh, subpar houses. And it's not because they don't want better. It's because things are not attainable. And so that's really what brought it to light about North District is an area I can focus in on and really make a big change on because people are suffering. And they're also, um, we're seeing... The opioid epidemic is really hitting North District hard. There's an increased homeless population. So all these things, um, our kids don't have activities in mm-hmm. the district. We have one community center that's actually, we kind of adopt the one that's across the border in Tonawanda, but that's not really <laughs> North District. Um, we don't have enough sports. We don't have a swimming pool that's open. Uh, our ice skating rink now is open to the public 11 and a half hours a week, mm. most of during them during school hours. School hours. <laughs> yep. So um, there's not enough for our kids to do. And then we see an increase in crime. Well, young people are poor mm-hmm. and they're bored. Right. I teach high school. You don't want kids to be bored. Right. So um, even the best intention kids when they're bored. Oh, yeah. 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 They will. <laughs> kids will come up with things to do that are amusing to them. And they're usually not what adults want. (laughs) (laughs) Bad for society. Yeah, and I mean, look, it's no um, coincidence that, you know, Joe Golombek has been the one presiding over that over the past, how long, Jim? 16? 24 years. 24 years. So I'd like to put it in context by saying that I'm turning 40 this year, and he has been in office since I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah, I mean, it, oh my god, it, it was it was not the two thousands when he was first elected. That's how long it's been. Yeah. Well, and you know what? Look, you can have you can have legislators that have been around for a long time. Usually, not usually, but it could be it could be an asset, right? Because you could have somebody who knows the system, who knows how to work the machinations of the common council in this case, and who could you know pull in feasibly pull in funding for their district or make real change by knowing the the legislative process. That's not what that's not what happens here with Joe Golombek. I, I I'm pretty sure 
I'm not talking outside of turn by saying I think he's passed zero local laws in his entire 24 years. I mean, the man has very no, no imagination uh, politically, um, no political will. Nobody's like, oh, yeah, that guy Joe Golumbek. He's really lighting the world on fire. Right. He's just kind of there. He and and f- fine. There are some political figures that are just there, but to have a political figure who's just there and Eve, I didn't realize that we're talking like. The second poor zip code. Yeah, 14207, which makes up the majority of North District. Yeah. You can't just have somebody who's just there, like, presiding over the rot. You know? And, I mean, I, I'm with you. Like, yeah, this is probably as good a time as any. And this is a uh, somebody, Jim, I would say worth, you know, getting the fuck out of there. Come on. Right. I mean, I mean, there's only so many times he can he can teach the same class at Buff State. <laughs> <laughs> He's into like the like the far right. He's, isn't he like super into like some far right? Like yeah, he he is like like foreign far right stuff. Like he like he pretends like he's like a mainstream Democrat in like here, but like if you ask him about like his opinion on like international relations, like all of the people that he admires are far right, hmm. which is interesting. Very interesting. Very interesting. Our, our 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 boy Sergio turned us on to that. Yeah, yeah. One of our listeners uh, was put it made us hip to this that Joe Golombek was into like weird far right Canadian French Canadian political figures go figure right it's very weird um so what what are your views on French obscure French Canadian political <laughs> figures so unlike Joe who is also a teacher um I didn't study history I studied science oh so um less about obscure French Canadian political oh. figures uh, who's your favorite scientist I don't. None so, of our listeners know anything about science. You could literally right, say anybody right now. Right, yeah. You, you could. So, so there is a real problem with science and how they've recorded scientific history. So, it's the same problem with how they record history. Um, people who have made very valid contributions are underrepresented. So, I, I tend not to focus on the old school names of scientists that mm. are, you know, upheld and have you know, theories named after them because they usually had quite a lot of contributions from other people that are not included. Well, that's a, that's right. a fair... And Take that, both Francis and Crick. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair and level answer. Our, our listeners are afraid to do long division. So, I mean, you like I said, you literally could have said anybody, but I, I admire your nuanced take there, Eve. And to just add a detail, Eve teaches environmental science in case we want to get into climate Oh, right. let's get into climate. I mean, look, <laughs> well, but, but, look ice storm. Well, I, the ice storm, but also, I mean, we we had our, our we have our new uh, climate. Was it the title commissioner or czar? Uh, 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 czar, Zar, sure. Czar. Sure. So, talk talk to us about climate, Eve. We are in an interesting position because the Great Lakes is the largest freshwater source that is not frozen. I got in trouble because I keep quoting it as the largest freshwater source in the world. And then I put that on a test and it, and the answer was glaciers. Mm. <laughs> oh, right. And one of the kids is like, what you say? I'm like, you're right. I do say. So outside of glaciers, the Great Lakes is the largest freshwater source in the world. And so we expect to have climate refugees because we still have drinkable water and water for crops. Um, however, teaching environmental science, um, I was certified as a biology teacher, but you get to teach environmental science um, as well because it's a, a natural science. 
when I started teaching it, my book was as old as the kids. So I was looking <laughs> for outside sources um, to be more contemporary. Wait, do, does science update ever? Of course it does. Does science change? <laughs> I don't know. I think it stays the same. Right, it yeah. never changes. Right, yeah, that's, we're still a heliocentric. My textbook does not say global climate change. It says global warming is mm. a possibility. Mm. <laughs> so in the past 20 years, I think that we've kind of progressed just a little bit. I, I remember like when I was in elementary school and my textbook said that by like 2011, we'd be out of like petroleum. Mm. So that Green, might be, a, that might have been incorrect. Greenhouse gases. That's what I remember. That was when all the books, uh, yeah. greenhouse gases. I don't hear about greenhouse gas anymore. I sound like Donald Trump when I say stuff like that, but I really, like, I don't hear about, folks, nobody's talking about this, greenhouse gases. <laughs> um, but yeah, okay, I, I, I don't blame you though. I feel like 20-year-old uh, science books are probably not what we're looking for here I, to teach our kids about I, climate I, change. I don't know that five-year-old science books are what we want to teach our kids with. Mm. Well, I've done a lot of um, firsthand documents, reports, and stuff like that. Um, one of them was uh, from a commission on the Great Lakes region, and they were talking about how actually the Great Lakes region is experiencing climate change much more rapidly than most of the world. Because just like we're the largest freshwater source, that's not glaciers. Um, it actually has, because uh, water has that insulating effect. So it's actually speeding the rate of climate change. So for people who can remember uh, 5, 10, 20 years ago, how, how our climate was, like we don't. We don't have the climate we had right. in Buffalo, at, like the same as when I was a kid. Um, so that is very real. That we're so we will have more winter storms, more severe winter storms, and the winds is the winds are something that we're not used to. Right. We get snow, but the blizzard was also two and a half days of of sustained winds. Right. And um, ice storms, the fact that the temperature fluctuates so much, we have to prepare for this. Mm -hmm. This is going to be more and more frequent. And there's lots of ways that we can prepare for it as a city. Um, the state did pass an, an environmental law. And this is the one we're hearing about, like, oh, they're taking away your stoves. Right. Okay. We've known for, like, 50 years of science that we had to wean off of fossil fuels. And at some point uh, in the 70s, when they're like, we're going to take lead out of your gasoline, people were like, oh, my God, or we're going to expect you to recycle. Oh, my, how am I going to do this? At, at recycle? But when they were like, hey, you can't drink and drive anymore, people were like, oh, my God, <laughs> you got to wear a seatbelt. You got to wear a seatbelt. Ralph Nader, you know, put him right. in the firing line. So these things we've known for a long time that we had to do. And it is all in the details of implementation, but I applaud the state at taking some action that we need to take some action and we do need to be leaders. But we also saw with environmental, uh, with the global climate change and the environmental catastrophes that are the result of it, we had gas stoves and people still froze to death in their yeah. house. Yeah. And people still had water pipes burst and damage to homes. So this happened with our stoves. So it's not a question of, oh, we need to keep these stoves because we need them in case of emergencies. No, we need an infrastructure that actually is prepared for emergencies. Yeah. That one. 
Yeah. I mean, I mean, because you see, like, if, if you go up, like, the northeastern coast, like you go to New England, they don't have a lot of natural gas stoves and natural gas heating. They use a lot of, like, oil or just electric-based heating um, because a lot of them are afraid of natural gas. Um, it's, you know, while we're used to it in this area, it, that's something that they're afraid of, uh, that they're like, well, it's just going to explode and blow my house up, which is potentially something that could happen. Um but like you know, like no, we we need to be like you're right. We need to be moving on for a variety of reasons, for environmental reasons. Uh, it, there's also like you know, like I I explain it to like my more conservative like family members. I was like, look, the natural gas reserves in 20 years, the only countries that are going to have them are Russia, Iran, and Qatar. Which of those countries do you want to be beholden to? Which of those countries do you want to owe major favors to because you refused to get rid of your stove 20 years ago? And learn how to use electric, right? And and now the the Common Council. Um, <laughs> so the the City of Buffalo Common Council official Twitter account got into it with our our City Action Buffalo here. Um, so our City Action the Twitter account here. Uh, this week, uh, Buffalo Common Council passed two resolutions that would stall implementation of. I, I've got the acronym here for you. If it's a it's a it's a wordy one. CL. CPA Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. So basically, they are dragging their heels on this on the local level. The state said, "Hey, this is what we need to do to fight climate change. It's real, and it's real if you live here in Buffalo. Like this weather is like fucking insane, um, and we're living through what seems like historic times every weekend, Jim. Right, or, or, or every least, other week, every other weekend, maybe. And like, and so what the the Common Council was like, well." The our city action said we're thinking about voting against it. We're not. That's not true. What we're thinking about is not voting in favor of it. <laughs> oh. Awesome, right? <laughs> which which seems like the the thinnest of hairs to split. So what's interesting? I did do a little bit of reading on this. This goes back to 2019. It was passed. Yeah, it wasn't just passed. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, this is not new. So a lot of people didn't hear about it. I hadn't heard about it until probably the um, late summer, early fall, because I kept telling people about it. Do you know that they're phasing this out? And people were like, no, I had no idea. And so um, it's interesting that all of a sudden this is a big issue. It, I can understand people's concerns. I have um, a multi-unit house that is almost entirely family occupied, meaning my children, um, my grown children. And um, so I put in four brand new furnaces, a brand new boiler and tankless hot water heater combo, and a tankless hot water heater and three kitchens in seven years. So I've spent over Mm $30,000 on getting super high efficiency gas stuff and eventually will be obsolete. And I understand people's concerns as a homeowner or as a tenant, those, somebody's got to pay for it, the conversion. So I totally can relate because if you ask me to pull another thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 out of my back pocket to redo this, I don't have it. Mm-hmm. What we need to do is push as a city for where, where is this funding going to come from? Right. As we convert, where are the grants coming from? Where are, you know, NYSERDA has great programs. So... We would need to make sure that people are able to get into these programs so we don't convert 
on the backs of people who can't afford it. Right. Right. It's so funny. The law was passed like four years ago and it, even, this might ring a, a, a bell here with you where it's like it's that student has been failing all semester and at the at the end of the year they're like hey is there any extra credit that i can do to um help out my grade uh <laughs> no jackass like right. follow the law but i mean it's similar to like you're saying like like you know like uh well, i can't i can't drive without a seatbelt anymore it's it's similar to me like like wait you mean like, i can't use lead paint in my house anymore and like it took us a while to like get that out of the system, mm-hmm. and like of course, and people are like now like, well, of course I would not use lead paint around, and like just like of course like I would I always drive with a seatbelt, right? I wouldn't drive drunk. It's going to take a while for people to be like, oh yeah, of course, like I'll I'll replace like my appliances with electric or induction or what have you. Right, and when is the deadline? Well. That's the thing. When you read it, they're talking about new builds mostly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then they're saying phase in a certain number of houses. And that is through, I believe, NYSERDA grants. Mm -hmm. So it would be as things become obsolete. So when my furnace stops working, I would just transition then. For those of us who bought something in the last couple of years, maybe our shelf life is a little bit shorter. But you're still talking about... um, you know, 10, 20 years. Right. Yeah. It's, right. they're not, they're not coming to take your guns. They're not coming to take your gas <laughs> stove either. Right. They're not. So when, um, when your stove completely dies and they stop making parts, cause we're talking about, they're not going to even stop making parts till right. after 2030. So 2030, let's say they stop making parts and you have an old stove. Well, then I guess in 2030, you're going to be worrying about the conversion. Right, right, yeah. It's, uh, uh, what am I doing with my icebox? <laughs> <laughs> what a hilarious cultural, like, touch point for people to get so... Like, guns, okay, whatever. I, I can understand why people get mad about that, but, like, your goddamn gas stove... Uh, you, you don't care. You don't care. Until somebody said, you have to change it, you do not care. It's so reactionary. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I like, like, with the tortilla putting it on the gas stove, you know, a crisp a certain way. Yeah. But like, this is where we have to go, right? Like climate change is happening. This is something that we have to do. Right. So why continue to put it off instead of just finding solutions for it? Now, I I wouldn't necessarily, I'll probably offend some chefs out there, but I love, I don't have any electric stoves, but I love the electric stoves that are like the smooth tops. Oh, those are cool. Those are cool. Because you know what? I have, I have kids who make a mess even though they're grown. And I don't ever want to be like, you scrub in those crevices. I want something you spray, you leave it on for five minutes and you wipe. That seems much easier anyway. No, no. no, I mean, that is industrial, like restaurant kitchens are going to be the the big thing that's going to get, have to get used to using electric and induction is that, you know, they're trained mostly on gas. And like, so like that's going to be a transition but it's not impossible. I have induction now. I've learned to cook on it, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and we're having this conversation here about, uh, you know, we, we, we joke, but this is a real serious issue. And it's something that we've identified, um, you know, could help mitigate, hopefully, the effects of climate change. I, I promise you, Joe Golumbeck is not having these discussions with anybody about what needs to be done about climate change. Um, again, to me, like... The man is a the ultimate do nothing. Just in this position, pretty much as a sinecure, 
Like he's just kind of there. I I don't know if at one point he had um a political favor to somebody or I don't even know his role in the Democratic Party circa 2023. No, now. I mean and, and, and as I, you know, mentioned on the campaign finance thing was that immediately after the election he gave money to Ralph Regal and the Conservatives. Immediately after the election, the same party that like the same group that gave a whole bunch of money to Lee Zeldin right before the general election and Golombek's giving them money like two weeks after the general election. He's showing his conservative roots. He's, he's, he's not truly a Democrat. He's or certainly not liberal in any sense of the word. Right. I mean, he'd barely line up with the Democratic Party of 2003, let alone Democratic Party of 2023. Right. So obviously, you know, Eve, we're, we're excited that there's a candidate who's kind of challenging um, this guy who's just lingering yeah. <laughs> like a, a bad odor. Uh, but but talk to us. So, all right, Eve Shippens is now in our, you know, in our, in our head canon and hopefully in real life soon, uh, North District Council member. So you're in that office. You're in that seat. Um, I want to ask you a couple things. One, everybody says, oh, the 100 days. That's more for presidents we're not going to ask you about the 100 days but you know they're in that beginning of your term um you're obviously going to learn the ins and outs of council but what are some of the the early priorities for you like coming in you're like okay here's stuff that i want to here's some tangibles or here's some things that i really want to nail on the head early on in my tenure as council member one of the biggest things is building relationships because if you don't have relationships you can't move anything And you also don't necessarily represent people well. So one of the things I'd like to do is have district-wide stakeholder meetings where everyone's invited, and that also has language access, uh, preferably uh, in-person translators for people who need it. Mm -hmm. Um, I also feel like the website we're building for my campaign, I would like to keep that going after I'm elected. So... People can look at, sometimes it's hard as an institution, like for the city of Buffalo, to be able to get things up quickly. But as an individual, we can get things up quickly. So there are meeting notices, uh, there's um, translation services, stuff like that, and also a list of resources. So I want to make sure that we are, um, that I'm touching base with constituents whether they supported me during the election or not Mm -hmm. i want to hear from everyone in the district and i want to hear from people who don't normally vote as well because they still are subject to the same conditions that the rest of us are um and then the other thing is that um i know a lot of elected officials already because uh i've spoken at many things i've been part of many different organizations I've been on political action in my union for quite some time. So a lot of um, candidates have uh, had endorsement interviews that I've been on the panel for. So um, I would like to build relationships, whether we see eye to eye or not, with everyone who is also a council member. Um, And also going Down to school board, I already have relationships with almost all of them. I'd like to lean into that. And going up a level, definitely to the county and also to the state, that we need to more of a connection and Mm -hmm. collaboration. And that's done through 
relationship building because there's a lot of things that we go, oh, that's a right issue or that's a left issue. But if we take the labels off of it and we're like sitting around a room with anybody talking about gas stoves, there's some common ground that we're going to find. And that's what I really feel that uh, we need to lean into. I also don't want to be a council person who just rubber stamps things. I want to understand how different things work. I want to understand how different departments work, who are the key people in these departments, and um, what are your needs. So that's another issue that came up was um, the age of all this equipment during the blizzard. Well, if the council improves the budget and they haven't asked for a new fire truck in 10 years, then you know the fire trucks are old, right? Mm-hmm. Doesn't It doesn't take a lot to figure that out. I didn't pay for one in 10 years, so yeah, it has to be over 10 years old. <laughs> so um, having that kind of communication where it's not just like, oh, it's a budget line, okay, or we'll approve this or not approve it, you know, Let's actually have conversations with people and find out what's needed. I was told by somebody in a Facebook group that that wasn't my position if I was elected as council person. And I'm not trying to micromanage anything. I'm trying to gather information and help solve problems. And that's what I, I think the job should be. Yeah, I, I, and I think, it, I think it would actually would be the position. I mean, I want to give... You know, like. If you're if you're a newer member of the common council, you've only been there for one term, you might not know that you haven't approved new fire trucks for ten years, and maybe that's a little bit more research than you might expect them to do. With I mean, there's a lot to do as a common council member, um, but if, if you're Joe Golombek and you've been there forever, you probably remember the last time you voted for fire trucks. Probably remember the last time you voted for plows, you know, and you you or at least you, you should have some idea. You know, like if you don't know the last time you voted for fire trucks, it's because you're not looking, you're not paying attention to what you're doing. Right. And I, I, you know, sometimes I worry that maybe that some of our elected officials in this county uh, are doing that. They're they're not looking. They're just voting. Yeah, and and it's interesting, Eve, that um, you said like coalition building is something you've identified as is going to be a priority early on. Um, you know, you're running something in the nature of of. I don't want to say insurgent campaign. That's not, I don't think that's a fair characterization, but you are running, you know, you're not somebody who came up through the traditional party structure um, necessarily. Like, you know, you weren't pegged to be a candidate for this office. Um, And and oftentimes a lot of, uh, you know, folks who kind of come from the outside are like, Hey, you know, let's rock the boat. Let's come in and and change the whole world, um, which has its goods and its bads. Uh, But you prioritized, early on like hey you know i need to build relations i need to um really sit down and have have conversations and work with you know people who are going to be my peers and ultimately help me pass uh legislation i mean how important is it that you know that you build like look you're going to be you you win this primary you're a presumptive winner of the uh the seat although obviously there could be a general election still down the line we know the history of <laughs> some of the things in this area around that. Um, uh, let me ask you. So let's say Eve Shippens wins this Democratic primary. You're going to be Democrat Eve Shippens, uh, Democratic nominee Eve Shippens. Um, do you plan on working within the party structure with, you know, and, and again, maybe this little inside baseball, but I, I am curious. Like, I know that 
not being like somebody who a lot of the machinations of the politics around here is that people have been in the party structure for a while. Um, there are jobs relying upon this, yada, yada, you know, like this is like the stuff where, okay, we have somebody who's kind of from the outside, not really as a community member who is running for office. But I guess, I guess talk to me about your philosophy is like, all right, you, you win the democratic primary democratic nominee Eve Shippens. Does that, change how you view things or is it more just like hey this is who i am this is what i'm bringing to the table as uh the democratic nominee i characterize myself as a good democrat anyway i do i i've carried petitions for various mainstream democrats over the years and um i do vote working families party line in the general but um so do we <laughs> so do we <laughs> But I consider myself a good Democrat. I consider myself a good union member. It doesn't mean that I'm always going to fall in line with things that I don't agree with or that contradict my values. Just because we may not agree, like, let's say we don't agree on climate change. So we're not going to stand together on climate change. But let's say we agree on public education. We're going to stand together here. We don't have to be as as it's been quoted, permanent friends or permanent enemies. We should work together and accomplish as much as we can together. So maybe with some people that's a lot more because they're more aligned with my values. And with some people it may be less. But if you're aligned with my values on one thing, I'm not going to be petty and be like, oh, I can't work with you. That's absolutely ridiculous. And unfortunately, we see that play out way too much in local politics. It's not about who your best friend is. Right, like it's not personal. It's not personal. Mm -hmm. I'm not running for this seat because I personally have anything against Joe. It's not a personal thing. Politically, I'm different from Joe. And if Joe is my next door neighbor, I would probably get along with him. But as my councilman, I might not get along so much. You know, and, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. And it's funny because I think um, the political figure that I and, and, and many people admire the most is Senator Bernie Sanders, um, who, you know, ends up being like the avatar for like leftist politics or whatever, uh, for obviously obvious reasons. But he's somebody who works within the Democratic Party, within the Republican Party to get legislation done. So it's funny that like a lot of people are kind of like ideologically frozen in one way and like if you work with so-and-so it's you know whatever and bernie sanders like mr leftist for a lot of people here in america like goes out of his way to work with people with the republican party to get uh funding for va hospitals and things like that so for my money i mean i i like that philosophy quite a bit you're not going to see eye to eye on everything but you have people that you represent you have goals and we don't agree on everything but maybe we agree on something mm -hmm. so we let's do as much as we can to help out achieve that something I've had this experience. Uh, one of the things that I've done for uh, quite some time now, probably about eight years, is I'm one of the co-chairs of the Buffalo Parent Teacher Organization. And um, so we work with parents, uh, school staff, and here I am. I'm in multiple roles. I'm a parent. I'm a teacher, one of the leaders of that organization. And I'm also on executive committee of my union. So they don't always all agree right <laughs> and so i think that's um, an understatement but yeah <laughs> so i've had to navigate this like what is it there's some things that um you know that the union 
and the district are quite at odds about. And I'm still working. At, I, I consider myself a good executive committee member. My overarching goal is uh, an excellent public education in Buffalo. And so if I keep that in my, in my head, this is what I'm working towards. A good contract for the teachers and other staff members goes in the same direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, teachers having certain training goes in that direction. Uh, working with parents and what parents are interested in, it all goes in the same direction. So as long as you're going in that direction, we can, we can walk together. We, we're not going to see eye to eye on every single issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And not for nothing, by the way, having a teacher, like a public school teacher on the B- uh, Buffalo Common Council, about about damn time that yeah. we saw that, you know, mm-hmm. there's a there's a lot of um, a lot of issues that are critical <laughs> to the day ins and day outs of teachers uh, that are just not addressed. And I think that perspective is missed often because we don't really have folks like yourself who are kind of tapped to run. You know, mm-hmm. it, it ends up being a lot of political operatives. It ends up being people within the party structure, which. Yeah, it can be good, can be bad, but you don't have like like you like you said at the top of the interview, Eve, like you've dealt with kids in poverty. Like you know firsthand the deleterious effects of the city of Buffalo and uh, the the poverty that a lot of these families experience. You see it every day. Yeah, we definitely do. And kids kids are not coming to school prepared enough to learn and also trauma is a big part of that. So if you live in poverty, you uh, have a less stable uh, lifestyle just by nature because you're going to have to move when you need to move because Mm -hmm. if the rent goes up, I can't afford it, I Mm -hmm. have to move, right? Um, Somebody gets sick and and then all of a sudden I can't pay rent for a while. So we're in a shelter. You know, all these things happen to kids. Um, Also, poor neighborhoods tend to be the ones with the least services. Mm -hmm. And... um, so you, you know, talk about food desert. So, which is an issue that I mentioned uh, during the blizzard. I live on Amherst Street where it's a food oasis. I have Tops and Wegmans all within two blocks of me. And I mentioned the food desert, that if you can't open those su- supermarkets, then, you know, what are people going to eat? And somebody's like, oh, what are you talking about? There's no food desert. There's all these bodegas all over the place. And I'm like, let me look up the definition so I could give you the formal definition. So a lot of people don't even understand all the things that they don't have because it's so normalized. Like it's normalized like, oh, there's not a supermarket in my area. Oh, we don't eat fresh fruit all the time. And, you know, that that's a real shame. Right. And it, it hurts kids. It hurts families. And, you know... It also causes a lot of stress, mental health issues, and substance abuse issues. Yeah. I mean, like, like uh, you know, as somebody who shopped at a bodegas a lot for a while, you know, like, their fresh produce is basically limited to, like, onions and bananas. Right. Because they have a good shelf life. Right. They have a great shelf life. And so, like, that was, that's it for, like, you know, maybe potatoes. But, like, you know, like, as far as, like, produce, like, you're not getting, like, cabbage or celery or anything like that there. Maybe like a bag of carrots, like tucked away underneath the milk. Right. It's uh no, it's a, it's a it's a travesty for a lot of families in the city of Buffalo, and the normalization of it, Eve, is really. I grew up in a poorer background too, and you just you're like, yeah, I guess we just don't have fresh food, yeah, you know, fresh fruit or whatever. We're eating frozen 
garbage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they had a lot of that in my household as well. Right, lots of banquet chicken. Banquet chicken. Yeah. That was what's oh, up, I though. I grew up on that. Yeah. <laughs> we had a lot of, like, the frozen pizzas, too. Yeah. Oh, those were, I mean, they're bad. They're terrible. They're like cardboard, but but we ate them. Mm-hmm. Well, Eve Shippens, thanks for joining us here on the Square uh, podcast. Now, all right, you are a listener here of the Square, and you're like, you know what? Eve, that's it. I'm all in. I'm with you. How can we, one, how can we uh, follow you on social media? How can we help out on your campaign? Give us the deets. Well, I'm going to let Stacy take <laughs> over for social media. But um, for any campaign, the first thing I need to do is get on the ballot. So petitioning starts on Tuesday, um, February 28th. It goes to April 2nd. I will be out six days a week, every day except Sunday. Not Sunday, Friday. Friday. Because nobody answers their doors on Friday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nobody. So I will be out six days a week door knocking. So if you want to door knock with us, you definitely can. Um, After that, we'll be door knocking, phone banking, text banking. So whatever you know how to do or want to learn how to do, because we will teach you. And um, so there's a sign up on the website. The website is Eve Shippens for North. And Stacy can tell you all the socials. Yeah, they're all actually um, <laughs> Eve Shippens, the number four, north.com would be the website. And then same for Facebook and Instagram, Eve Shippens for North. Twitter is just Shippens for North. So you can find her on all the socials. There's a link tree also on all of those platforms. So you can get more information, get signups, current events, um, different things that are happening if you follow that as well. Great. Awesome. Well, guys, thanks for joining us here. Um, hopefully we have you back. We're talking Democratic nominee for North District uh, yeah. Eve Shippens in the near yeah. future. Yeah, and I'd like to thank Stacy for dressing up for Mardi Gras for us. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Thank you.